Here we are in Romans 16. I'm thinking we have two to three messages left in the book of Romans here. Last week, and in fact, the last few weeks as we headed into Romans 15, we see Paul kind of wrapping up this epistle. He has closing exhortations and reminders and things that he has given. Last week, we saw him asking for prayer. Remember, he laid out his plans. Uh, We looked at those plans laid out the week before, some, um, you know, updates on his ministry. And then last week, we saw him asking for prayer. In fact, we saw Paul begging them to pray for him and with them, to even partner in the ministry that he had been called to through prayer. And we spent a lot of time talking about it. And you guys got a fat packet last week with so many verses, you know, and there's so many more encouraging us and instructing us and giving us insights in regards to prayer. Prayer is a huge thing. Again, James 5, 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That should be something that stirs our heart. What do you need this morning? What areas where you need something availed in? You're like, we need the hand of God to move in this situation. Let me ask you, are you praying? And then I'll ask you, are you praying fervently? Because there's difference between a prayer and fervent prayer. Fervent prayer is when you're pouring it out before God. When you're like, I gotta go get on my face before the Lord and I ain't getting up till I sense heaven moving and so forth. And beautifully, again, the prayers of a righteous man. And this isn't a matter of going, well, if I get myself in a certain place, then I can be right with God and pray Jesus Christ is the one that makes us right with the heavenly father. Jesus Christ is the one that tore that veil so we can enter in to that holy of holies, that heavenly tabernacle to do what? To obtain help in our time of need, to go to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy, And I can't encourage you enough. Again, if the walls seem to be closing in or whatever it is, humble your heart, get on your face and fervently pray before the Lord. And I'll take it one step farther. You're like, well, when I need help, I will. We need help every day. There's a spiritual war around us every single day. There's a plot from the enemy always going on. The flesh is always looking to rise up. That's why Paul even said, I die daily. Why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. And there's a world around us that's got an agenda to try to wash this world of the things of God. So let's be found a people abounding in prayer. And I hope this past week after last Sunday, that absolutely your prayer life was stirred up and enhanced and so forth. If not, then take this mini little sermonette at the beginning of our sermon and let it stir you up today and let God's word stir you up in the area of prayer. Can we say amen to that? Well, again, Paul gave them an update, asked for prayer. And now as we come into chapter 16, we actually see 16 verses where Paul, first of all, is giving a recommendation or accommodation for Phoebe who is a sister in Corinth where Paul is pinning this letter. And they obviously don't know who she is in Rome, but she's headed to Rome. We'll talk more about what she may be doing there in a bit here. She's heading to Rome. And so Paul's basically saying, I recommend her. She's a sister in the Lord. Embrace her and so forth. And there's a lot to consider there with letters of recommendation and accommodation and so forth not only in writing them, but concerning our own lives. And we'll ask the question, if the Holy Spirit would have, you know what, let's just say we'll we'll do a Superbook. You ever see Superbook where they go back in time? So it's the cartoon Superbook, anyone here? They're pretty good. They're pretty biblically sound, except for the time travel in it. But you're taken back into time, you know what, and then the Holy Spirit moves Paul to squeeze you, and we're gonna see a lot of names here, what would, what would the Holy Spirit say about you? If a letter of commendation was written by the Lord about you, what would it say? And I think there's a really a lot of self-examination to do in that. And so we'll look at that letter of commendation, which is just the first few verses. And then we're going to see Paul uh, giving a lot of greetings and encouragements and some little instructions as well. We'll see him talk a bit about Priscilla and Aquila. 
uh, I would say definitely a super couple in the word of God, a lot to glean there. And then again, several just kind of instructions and encouragements and greetings and just little things in there that we can glean. There's a lot talked about labor. He talks about those who labor and those who labor much, greetings and so forth. Uh, talks about one man approved in God. Why would he say that? Another chosen in the Lord. And so I think we're going to get a lot from, you know, it's something that maybe just would look like, okay, well, that's that. Let's move on. There's a lot here. As oftentimes I say, there's gold and then there are hills and there's gold here. And we're going to, by the grace of God, mine it out. So I'm not going to read through the whole text to start. Uh, what I want to do, though, is read through the first four and a half verses because we'll spend at least half our time in those, if not a little bit more. And then we'll make our way down as we uh, go through the word before us here. <clears throat> so he says there in verse 1, I commend, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant in the church of Chintria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So again, Paul's including in this, including in this letter, this epistle, you can say there's more than one even kind of mini letter within this overall letter. And basically what he's doing here again is writing a letter of commendation or recommendation of Phoebe. He's giving a character witness, you could say, of her. Now many believe that part of the reason why he's writing this is that she was part of the team. Again, it's suggested and it's, you know what, uh, uh, you know, it's a thought that many have. It seems to fit that perhaps she was part of the team because she's in Corinth and she's headed to Rome. And here's the thing, <coughs> excuse me, with these epistles and letters, they didn't take it down to FedEx and send it. You know, the U Brown didn't come by and here's the UPS guy and we're taking, they would send that with, with, you know, their own delegation, especially something as precious as God's living word. Listen, Paul and James and Peter, when they were pinning these letters, Jude and so forth, they knew the Spirit of God was moving upon them and they were pinning the Word of God. You can see that clearly through the New Testament. So they wouldn't just give this letter to anybody. It would be given to a team who would be taking it from Corinth to Rome. And many believe because Phoebe is there in Corinth and she's going to Rome that part of what she was doing along with, it seems, some other business was she was part of that team who was taking the letter. And those in Rome obviously were not familiar with Phoebe. And so Paul knew that most likely they would say, well, who's this? And here's the thing, especially back then, and I think there's even applications of this today. Back then there was, and absolutely there is today, it just looks different in different places, but there was such an, an effort being put forth to try to destroy the church as it was getting going. And there were people that were, and maybe this is something that was more regular back then, there were people radically getting saved that would come from a darker background. Remember when Paul got saved and the church was like, hey, wait a minute, we don't want this guy in here. And Barnabas basically gave the letter accommodation. Hey, I know his testimony. Hey, I know his fruit and so forth. And so someone just showed up because we'll even see as we go through this, they're in Rome now, but earlier on, persecution had happened to Christians in Rome and they'd been driven out so here comes someone and again it's not a matter of them being super suspicious we're not called to walk in deep suspicions but we all called to, called to use discernment and not just discernment going through the scriptures but hear this and a lot of people don't like to hear this because well that's judgy we got to use discernment with people and absolutely, you know, if she just showed up, they would say, well, who's this? We don't know who this is. And you know what? Rightfully so, again, not with we don't know you, so you're just out. But to make this easier, Paul's telling them that she's legit. This is a sister in the Lord. He gives a little bit of her ministry. He lays it out as well as she's here to do these things. So 
greeter and receiver, as he writes here, in a manner worthy of the saints. Now, before we look at what he actually writes about her and what he instructs them, I have a few thoughts this morning about letters of accommodation, letters of recommendation from a biblical point of view. Because um, today, look, at this is very commonplace. It seems about like every week, at least three or four times a month, I'm asked, hey, will you write me a letter of recommendation? Will you write me a letter of accommodation? Hey, I want to get my carried and concealed. Will you write me a letter? I write a lot of those letters. <laughs> Hear this, when uh, the, the, the vaccine was being enforced on people, I wrote a lot of letters, religious letters of exemption. If this is this man or woman's conviction and so forth. And, and praise God, God honored every single one of those letters. Absolutely did. And so this is a big deal. And if someone's coming to you asking you to write one of these letters, it's something that we ought to take seriously. And so here's a few thoughts on this. First of all, they should only be written honestly or not at all. Because here's the thing, you're writing a character witness of somebody, maybe again for a job or a carry conceal or whatever it would be, you know, a lot of various things, maybe just someone's business or so forth. They should be written honestly or not at all. Because here's the thing, if you fudge the book, so to speak, if you lie on a letter of commendation, you lie on a letter of recommendation, you're like, well, look it, well, you know, he's this, but there's a little bit here. So let's just kind of shade this differently. Um, You know, you got to know that you're writing a character witness of an individual. And if you write this for an individual that you're like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire him or I wouldn't hire her, but I'll write this letter so they can get that job. That's saying something about your character. And again, we're, we're in a small community here. And so someone goes and gets hired on that letter. And again, I get it. Sometimes you get the wool pulling over your eyes and then they, they get working there. And then a month later, you know, at this company that hired him, maybe even know someone there, they go, Hey, where do you, why'd you recommend this guy? Every time we go and try to find him work, he's off in a corner on a little box here doing this stuff. There's a lot of that today, is there not? And so we want to make sure we're being upright before the Lord because we're going to give an account for those things. And here's the thing. You don't have to feel obligated to writing a letter of commendation for someone who has been flaky in their life. Now, maybe they've made some changes. Praise God for changes. Amen. Maybe there's been some drastic you know what upgrades and, and you've seen a consistency in that well there's even a way of writing that out man you know what this person has really come a long way and i'll tell you people love a comeback story people love to hear people get back up on their feet and that's even a opportunity to be a wonderful testimony of to bring a testimony of the lord but notice proverbs ten nine: he who walks with integrity walks securely but he who perverts his ways will become known and we can pervert our way, even if it's a small way, if we write a letter of accommodation or recommendation that's just not true. Again, we're not obligated to write them if we're not comfortable writing them, and we should never do it for someone we wouldn't recommend or, again, we wouldn't bring the hire or whatever else. And I've written many of those letters, and here's the other side. Many a time I've had to say, I'm going to write you a letter. <laughs> And they're looking at me like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to write me a letter. I'm not writing you a letter. Many times, you know what, more often than not, you're like, I'm not going to ask him. No, more often than not, I do. Because again, we're also all a work in progress. So it's not like, you know what, you got to be a super saint. You know what, there's balance in all this. But individuals that I know that have just lived sinful lives willfully, that are liars, Guys that never show up when they're supposed to show up and so forth. I ain't gonna write you no letter. I've had people furious at me. You, he wouldn't write me a letter. I'm not obligated to write a letter of commendation if I don't, if I don't recommend it. And you need to take that on as well. Don't be pressured by men. Be led by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I think of one uh, instance uh, in particular where I'm like, I'm not gonna write you a letter and instead of the guy just going, okay, it's good, went and badmouthed me that I wouldn't write him a letter. And I thought, that's confirmation right there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, I didn't need it, but thank you for the double confirmation right there. Now, here's the thing as well in regards to us. 
So we're writing about talking about writing letters to others. And again, there's, there's multiple letters of combination in the scripture. And hear this as well. There's also letters of warning in the scripture. Not letters of gossip, but letters of warning. Paul said, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. And sometimes there is a place for a letter or a word of warning. Hey, I want to warn you here. Look, at I don't like gossip, but I appreciate when there needs to be a heads up and I'm given a heads up. And that's an okay thing to do. You just need to make sure your heart's right in doing that, that you're not doing that to gossip. But if there's some individual that, you know what, we need a heads up concerning, give that heads up. Absolutely. So at the minimum, you know, someone can have a watchful eye, not again, suspicious, not hoping for the worst, but believing the best, or it might even give insight of how to minister to somebody and help them. Now, here's the thing as well, again, when it comes to us, letters of commendation shouldn't need to be written to people who know us. Here's the thing, they should know our fruit. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or write a letter of recommendation for ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? And then Paul says to those in Corinth, you are you are our epistle written in our hearts and known and read by all men clearly you're an epistle ministered by us writing not with ink but by the spirit of the living god on tablets uh, not of tablets of stone but tablets of flesh that is of the heart so paul says right here in christ are you in christ today can you say amen? amen we are living epistles known and read by all men Look, if you just wanted to get saved and then go live, you know, in an obscurity over in the corner, it doesn't work that way. When you get saved, God says, I'm going to display your life. Can we say amen to that? I'm going to display your life. People are going to watch you. People are going to see you. You can't get around that. Some people, people see more of. They hear more from them. But this is part of God's design. He says, I'm going to work in your life and you're going to be known and read by all men what are they knowing? What are they reading? Listen, even in the ups and downs and the struggles, and boy, everyone, you know what, all eyes go to the sirens and a wreck and so forth. But even in that in difficulty, there's opportunity to shine greatly for the Lord. Oh man, they're getting cut down. They're going through a difficulty here. You know, th- this storms come on. What a great opportunity to go, you know what? I'm getting knocked all over, but you're gonna see me holding on to Jesus. You're gonna see me with that fervent prayer on my face. And then hopefully it's a thing where the king looks in and wasn't there one guy in the fire? Why do I see two? And why does the one look like the son of God? You understand what I'm saying here? So our lives are known and read. People are knowing you. They're reading you at work. You know what? On the ball field, whatever it is. And it would be our hope that we're a people walking with the Lord. And what's being known and read is fruits of the spirit of God. Again, there's gonna be times when, when we blow it and fall short. There's great ways, though, to, to deal with that by just saying, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Sometimes that's a greater witness and does way more you know, value and good and God just using something that was bad for good. I mean, humility goes so far in all of this. So again, think about that. What is read by the fruit of your life? If you, you line up 10 people who knew you and they would say, you know what, he's a living epistle, what would you write in your letter concerning them? It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Now, again, Paul also in this, he's writing to this, those to people, and just briefly, or side note, what we read there in Corinth, Paul's, Paul's saying this to even people that are questioning him because false teachers came in and they were slandering Paul. Look, there's a real ministry of God. It's gonna, it's gonna face slander. It's always the case. Jesus was slandered by the Pharisees, just so you know, they said he cast out demons by the chief of demons, Beelzebub. It's just going to happen. The Lord says, woe to those when all men speak highly of you. They did that of the false prophets. That's generally people, uh, pastors, ministries, accommodating the flesh, accommodating the world. And they questioned Paul. And Paul said, look, at, I don't need a letter of recommendation. You're my letter of recommendation. Because that church was planted by me, and this church has been built up by me. And again, it's not Paul boasting, it's the Lord working through him. And so 
you know what? Again, it's that idea of we don't need to write anything down. What's the fruit? What's the fruit of my life? And what's the fruit coming out of the ministry God's called me to when it comes to others? You know, what would people say if they read, you, you know, you teach a Sunday school class, what goes on to that is not fully, but there's gonna be a little reflection of the person teaching that and so forth. And so these are things we really wanna consider, we really want to think about. Also here, listen, let's be cautious in writing letters of recommendation or accommodation about ourselves. And it might be not, not be a thing where you write it, but boy, we can do that with our tongue, can't we? Again, notice there, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, back up above. Do we, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Very recently, I had, I, I, I was going somewhere and someone came in and they, they, they cut me off, which was fine. Uh, it, it, not, not in a car, they just came in and cut me off. And then for the next 10, 15 minutes, I've never heard anyone boast of themselves more than maybe anyone in years. And I kept, I, I kept trying, boasting, 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 boasting. Like, here's my letter of accommodation because they, they were, they were going to ask me for something, which the answer was absolutely not. When the question was finally asked, and the individual then says, I know I sound like I'm boasting, but, and, I, and I, I finally got a word. I go, you do sound like you're boasting. You got a boastful tongue. I, some, I just keep it real a lot of times. So. And it didn't even phase him. He wasn't even phased. He just kept going. And then he asked the question. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And he kind of looked like, I, I just gave you my letter of accommodation. I'm like, no, no, we're not doing that. And I kind of gently and mildly rebuked him and pointed him to Jesus and basically said, be on your way now. But here's, listen to this, Proverbs 27 two. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. And here's Paul praising Phoebe. It's not Phoebe saying, hey, Paul, will you tack this letter on that I wrote about myself? So again, and I, and I know sometimes you're applying for a job, you gotta write about your accomplishments or your schooling again that there's a proper place for that right but let's be careful that we are not going around again talking of ourselves trying to push ourselves in a manner that's just out of scriptural bounds because most people you know what that does it turns them off they pick up on a real quick like man this dude like joe boaster over here you get a nickname out of that you know that's what that's what happens out of it. You, you, you get a nickname. And here's again, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about here, but I take it a step further. Again, first question is, what, what's known of you as you're a living epistle? But then ultimately, again, our greatest concern would be, what if the Holy Spirit wrote a letter? And the Holy Spirit wrote this letter here. The Holy Spirit moved upon Paul in pinning this letter. And if if Again, let's just take our lives and transfer it back there and we're in the church of Rome and, uh, or, you know, and, and we got squeezed into this list right here. What would be said about us? What would be said about us as a church? What would be said about us as individuals? Would it be, you know, greet so-and-so or would it be, as we'll see here in a minute, some of these things he writes, uh, this brother labored for the Lord or labored greatly for the Lord or as we just read about Priscilla and Quilla, they risked their necks for me? Or would it be a beware or, you know, not even a footnote or whatever because of just us living lives just unto ourselves in the world? And here's the thing with that, again, if you're like, well, you know what, I'm not there and I wasn't, they didn't write about me, so whatever, it's a mood point. But here's the thing, the day's gonna come when we're gonna stand before the Lord. And I guarantee you, and this is something that should put the fear of God in all of us. Look, we can even fool men with outward things, but God knows the whole book. And absolutely on judgment day, books are gonna be open and letters are gonna be read. And you're like, well, I'm covered by the blood. Yeah, in Christ you are, but we still are gonna give an account for our lives. And think about it in Jesus, we have a much higher responsibility than those outside of Jesus. And we're gonna give an account. What came to my mind was that was 1 Timothy 5, 24. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. 
So again, God has balanced books. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And so maybe it's, again, I just do good work. It's, it's, it's done on the side. It's done, you know, it's not out, but it's going to be commended by God. And we'll see more of that as we go through this. Now, quickly here, let's look at what Paul specifically says about Phoebe and then many of these Romans that's important that we can glean for our own lives. First of all, about here, he says, she is our, our sister. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister. She's genuinely in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that he says. This is a big deal. It's not a small matter. Look, I heard what it said. The only difference between us Christians and non-Christians is the grace of God. That's the only thing. That's everything. The grace of God, well, that's the only difference. We have grace and they don't. And again, it's available to them, but that's all the difference in the world. That's the difference between heaven and hell. That's the difference between being forgiven and unforgiven. That's the difference between I serve Jesus Christ and I serve the God of my own belly. That's a huge thing. The scripture even tells us, yes, to be in the world, but not of it. But we're also instructed not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul was not going to bring an unbeliever and integrate her into the church of Rome into a place, you know, of ministry. It's so important. Listen, we have ministry applications here. And one of the first questions is, when did you get born again? And it's all theological questions of, you know what, do you believe Jesus is God? goes down those lists because if someone's like well i don't born again what are you talking about well we're going to have a meeting and we're going to get you born again then but secondly i ain't going to send someone to teach the first through third class that's not even born again it's all the difference in the world you get born again you get the spirit of the living god and so she say he's saying she knows and loves the lord and no doubt it wasn't just because of a confession of the lord in romans 10 9 but true confessions are always followed by real fruit. Matthew seven twenty, Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. And we'll see him laying out some of the fruits. This is a sister in the Lord. And they knew Paul was being honest in the letter. And then she, it says, who is a servant of the church in Chinchia. And again, not just that she's a servant and being a servant in general is a good thing. He doesn't say she's a servant of the community, which, again, there's a place for that. But he says she's a servant of the church. Are you a servant of the church? And again, when I say the church, I'm not just talking about refuge church. And you know what? Though if we're this is our home church, we should serve in some way. You know what? Even if it's not an official capacity, but even coming in saying, I want to encourage brothers and I want to worship the Lord in, in those various areas and so forth. But the church being the body of Christ. Because I see a lot of people today that call themselves Christians and they got deep grudges against the church. They'll say, I hate my brother. You need to go read First John then because the Lord says, if you hate your brother, you don't got the love of God. Look at the world's going to pass away. 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You know what the Bible says about the church? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The world's passing away. The community's passing away. Yeah, the community is Jesus, and we need to be in the community representing Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But if there's a grudge against the church, if it's, Boy, you know what? I'm team mom on every one of my kids' teams. And again, a great opportunity to shine for the Lord, but it's not even to shine for the Lord there. But when it comes to serving the church, and again, I'm not saying refuge church, we need more servants. So, you know, we can always use more servants in that sense. But the church, the body of Christ, maybe your neighbor, they go to a different church, but they love the Lord and so forth. We got we to gotta understand the depth of Again, the church and being brothers and sisters in the Lord. Christ gave himself for the church. We're the body of Christ. Again, notice Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church. We glorify God in the church. The church glorifies God. That's gonna go on forever. We're talking about eternal things versus temporary things. We read in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of truth. Are we just spinning our wheels saying, I just want to serve the community and I never talk about Jesus. I like, you know what, I'm, I'm going for citizen of the year out here. 
Or is it, you know, I'm just going to get in and grind for the Lord and maybe no one recognizes, but it's the pillar and ground of truth. And Christ laid down his life for the church and the church is where God is glorified. And the Lord even said the church is built on the rock. He builds his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. The world is basically in the grips of hell. So he makes it a point. She's a servant of the church. The word servant It's actually where we get our word deacon or deaconess. Is he saying she's a deacon or a deaconess with a capital D? I don't think so. Because there are deacons with a small d and that they serve. And then there's deacons with a capital D. Usually they oversee an area of service. Here's the thing with all of it. True deacons are seen way more in their serving than any title given. They're just serving. And again, we should have a servant's mentality not just in the church, but in our homes and in everything we do. And even when we are in the community and we're doing it to represent the Lord. And so don't get me out of context in all of that. Also, he says about her receiver in the Lord in a manner, again, notice, worthy of the saints. So we are to receive recommended believers in the Lord in a different way than non-believers. Again, if someone just rolls up, and this happens a lot where Someone comes in, they're, they're, maybe they've heard about some of the good works here and so forth. They don't know the Lord. And they, hey, I'd like to come in and help you pass out cup of noodles at the Winter Wonderland, bro. That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna put a face up here that doesn't know Jesus. When we're out here just to give soups, we're here to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we wanna minister to that fellow. We wanna embrace him. But I'm just straight with people about it. I would just tell them that. You need to get born again. What a great opportunity to share the gospel, right? You need the spirit of God. So receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Again, he's saying she's your family. She's your sister. She serves the Lord. We want to fund that. We want to support that. We want to build that up. We don't want to just throw, you know, an effort at something that's just like wasteful seed. He's saying she's trustworthy. And there's even a conania there or that, that special connection that comes when you, you know, you ever connect with someone, you don't even know them well, but they know the Lord and, you know, the, 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 the conversations around Jesus. And there's just a connection there of the spirit of God. It's called conania in the Greek where it's just this, this bonding that comes that, you know what, I never met you before, but as we're talking here, your, your witness and your fruit and the spirit in you is bearing witness with mine. And it's like, hey, bro, let me give you a hug. You know that? You might not even see him again. And maybe the Lord just brings him at that right place to minister to you or you to them. You understand what I'm saying on that? I think we've had those experiences and they're awesome. And then he also says, and this is interesting, assist and helper because she has assisted and helped many others and myself. Again, he says, and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. And then he says, why? For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Look at the Bible's really clear. And some people don't like this. So I, th- these are the types of things where a lot of people, I don't have that Bible. The less you do your part, the scripture says, the less you should be aided and helped. We're not talking about people that are in places where they can't do their part in certain areas. Don't get me wrong here. We're not talking about someone that's, you know, in a place of sickness or they're mourning a death. We're not talking about that. But individuals that can clearly do their part, whatever that is, but they don't do their part, the Bible has not called us to aid and abed laziness, selfishness, and sin. I know that's not politically correct today, but we're concerned with being biblically correct, right? He says, she has helped, so help her. She has helped many, so help her. She's worthy of that help because she helps others. That's the way that it's supposed to be. You're like, well, that's extreme. I'll take it to a way more extreme place than that. Notice there in your notes, 1 Timothy 5, 9. They're talking about widows. They're talking about helping widows in the church. You know, widows and orphans. This is like the least of these. And listen, the Holy Spirit moves on Paul, and this is rugged here. But this is something that should sober us. He's talking about the widows that should be helped. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 9, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. 
So if you're under 60, he basically says, you know what, go remarry, go work, don't be a busybody. It's the word of God here. (laughs) And then he says as well, so let's say they're over 60. He says, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. I would think the context would be of that of, you know, her as a Christian, maybe her husband died, she married another one. It was, it's a lawful marriage. But then he says, well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So in other words, if you got some woman over here that never served anybody, just lived for herself, very little regard for the gospel and the church and serving and so forth. And then she says, my husband died on all 60. Take me in and provide for me. Paul says, nope, don't do it. Do not do it. Here is her letter of, of, of you know what, witness, and I cannot give her a, a recommendation. That should sober us. And again, we've had to deal with this before. I got like a million stories and I can only call, tell just a little bit of them because I've been in the same church for like almost over 25 years. But I've seen this before where someone just kind of pops in and you know what, you wanna, you wanna help people and so forth, but then there's a balance. So it's almost like, I don't know you and I know you're an older lady, but you're, all of a sudden you come with all these demands. Do this for me, do that for me, do this for me, that for me. And I'm like, is this why you left the church you were at before? So in other words, look at, he says, the Bible says the more you do your part, the more that will, should be done unto you. Again, I won't read it, but 2 Thessalonians 3, the whole chapter's about it, where he says, if anyone won't work, take from people who are working and give to them. Doesn't say that, that's called stealing, whether it's a government doing it or individuals. You ready for this? Drum roll. If anyone won't work, neither shall he eat. And then he says, I hear there's some around you not working at all, but they are what? Busy bodies. Because idle time is oftentimes the devil's time. Galatians 6, 5. For each one shall bear his own load or her own load. And Phoebe had been bearing her own load. And again, I... I, no doubt Phoebe was abounding in the Lord in it because God has created you to bear a load. God's created you to glorify him, to serve others, not just to live in selfish land over here. Can we say amen to that? Quickly here. We've got a lot of names to go through here. This is going to be a two-parter. I don't. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also but also all the churches of the Gentiles. This is a super couple, not because they Facebooked it. You know what I'm saying? Like social media, super couple. They, it's not because of that. There's some cringy stuff out there, man. Letter of commendation, super couple. <laughs> People are like, I gotta delete, delete, delete. <laughs> Fine, history, history, delete. <coughs> First Corinthians 7, 29. But I say this, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those that have wives should be as they had none. Those who weep as they did not weep. Those who rejoice as they did not rejoice. Those who buy as they do not possess. And those who use this world not as misusing the form of this world is passing away. That's Priscilla and Aquila. They were married, they had a wonderful marriage, but their marriage did not triumph over their walk with God. It did not triumph over their service of God. And again, there was no doubt balance in their home, 100%, but they came together in the Lord and instead of allowing the cares of the world to be multiplied, they came together and we're gonna serve the Lord together. If you're having marital issues today, look at, get your eyes on Jesus. Both y'all, get your eyes on Jesus and then ask the question, what is the priority of importance in our home? Is it what you can do for me and her saying what you can do for me or is it what are we doing for Jesus and is Jesus first? Are we in the word together? Are we praying together? Are we worshiping together? 
Are we serving the Lord? Or that's just a side note over here. It's about what you're supposed to do for me. And again, what you do for me. That's awkward because it's just me up here, but you understand what I'm saying. And that's what this couple was. We looked at a lot of them in our study in Acts last year, but Acts 18.1, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And back then, if you were a Christian, you were considered a, a, a Jew. You know, it, they, they, they just thought it was another part of Judaism. They, you know, and then eventually everyone recognized the fulfillment of it. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so again, they had been in Rome. They're back in Rome here. They'd been in Rome, and they were driven out because of persecution. And they didn't lose their faith. Their faith abounded. They went from there to Corinth. That's where they met Paul. They were fellow tent makers. They made tents together to fund their ministry, no doubt as well to share the Lord with people they're making tents with and so forth. We see them doing evangelism with Paul. We see them doing ministry with Paul. Eventually they would go to Ephesus and they would start a church in their home. And then praise God, the door would be open up for them to go back to Rome and start a church there if you follow the timeline of them. Paul says they risked their own necks for me. We need to understand Paul was an outlaw. <laughs> Paul, so many people wanted to kill Paul. Paul wasn't popular with pop culture. But they embraced Paul. They took Paul in. They're making these tents. And again, probably they're just there. You know what? No doubt people knew they were Christians. But Paul had ruffled feathers everywhere they went. Paul's new to the area. They've been there. And they said, hey, this is our brother and Lord. We're going to bring him in. We're going to risk our business. We're going to risk our own neck because this is a legitimate brother. And we're going to trust in God over our flesh. We're going to fear God over men. No doubt there were other places that they risked their neck for him. And this is a picture of 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Let me ask you, when was the last time you put your neck out for someone? Well, I did it once and you know what? I, I got slapped in the back of my neck. This is where there's a balance. Yes, I wanna use wisdom, but if there's a brother or sister that you need to put your neck out for, don't refrain because you put it out before and you didn't read the lack of letters of commendation. You understand what I'm saying? Because the devil oftentimes will use something like that to keep us abounding and what we're supposed to be doing. And there's folks that need someone to put their neck out for them, to run a risk. And again, I know sometimes that backfires. But hear this, maybe that's you. Better have put your neck out in trusting in the Lord and it backfire than never to put out your neck for anyone. Because the last time I read, Jesus laid it all down on the cross of Calvary. So we want to get a balance in this stuff. But Paul's just saying, they put their neck out for, they risked their neck for me. And Paul basically says, I'm thankful for them as well as the churches of the Gentiles are thankful for them. Again, in Ephesus, where they administered, in Corinth, where they administered to. And even again, when they went back to Rome, the Jewish Christians were banished. They came back to Rome and they didn't think anything would be there. And there was a bustling, abounding church of Gentiles there. And they jumped right back in and said, oh yeah, let's start a church. Not being saved here, let's start a church. And get a minister to. And then I'm not going to read it, but in Acts 18, we read of an account, and I think this is a picture of how these two worked. There was a man named Apollos who was a Jew who got, he got saved kind of in a roundabout way. He knew of the baptism of John pointing to the Savior that was coming. And they came in and filled in all the blanks of who the Savior was. And they educated him. And what did Apollos do? He abounded even all the more and went and taught the way of the Lord accurately and refuted Jews and they invested in his ministry. And so even Apollos' ministry, Priscilla and Aquila had a little bit of peace of that. And I'll tell you, when you put your neck out for others, you minister to others, you pray for others, you also get a share, even if it's a little portion, in the rewards of others. 
And just thank you, you got a little share here, you got a little share. Anyone invest in stocks? I got my portfolio. Look at all my shares. What's your spiritual portfolio look like? Well, we support this ministry over there in this part of the world. Again, you got some shares in that. That might not seem like a big deal now, but I'll tell you on Judgment Day when those books are open and letters are read, how awesome, you know, to say they minister to that church and they help this guy get going and so forth. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Verse five, he says, likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Greet my beloved, my beloved Epantinus, who is the first fruits of Acacia to Christ. So Priscilla and Quilla had a church in their house in Rome. When they were in Ephesus, they had a church in their house. People get weird about this. Church shouldn't be in a building, it should be in a house. Well, that house is a building, just so you know. Here's the thing with this, just a few thoughts on this. The emphasis in this is not in their house. The emphasis in this is the church and they were ministering to the church, the people. The emphasis isn't the building or the meeting place. The question should be, is this a legitimate New Testament church or people just getting together? Because in a legitimate New Testament church, there's structure there. James says, let not many become teachers, they'll incur a stricter judgment. Is there a teacher, pastor anointed by God? Or is it just a bunch of disgruntled or people that for other reasons are getting together? And I understand sometimes that's what you have to do in certain areas and so forth. But I'm talking probably more about disgruntled who get together and we're gonna have church. Who's the pastor? Who's the teacher? Because bro, someone's given an account. (laughs) I see a lot of, I want to be careful with it because I understand because the church is going so sour in so many ways. And I'm not discouraging in areas where that is what needs to happen. But again, I think oftentimes they see this with a kind of a chippy and a rebellion. Well, we meet in a house. Well, who's teaching in that house? Who's the pastor of that house? Who's the overseer of the souls in that house? Because, bro, someone's given an account. You got a bro in there, so you know it's serious. Someone's going to give an account. Is there real teaching or just talking? And that can be dangerous. Well, there's 12 of us, and we read a scripture, and everyone gives their opinion. Okay, you better be checking that. Let me tell you, home groups can be some of the most dangerous things on the face of the earth. They can be glorious, or they can be incredibly dangerous. Everyone has an equal opinion here. Wrong. God's word prevails. Is there correction going on? Is there instruction going on? And so forth. I was part of a home church for a while. Dude, it got weird. Got weird. I'm like, I want to evangelize and so forth. I'm like, well, we just want to sit here in pajamas and sip coffee. Isn't the Lord supposed to add to the church? So what's going to happen when you outgrow your, you know what, 250 square foot living room? But we're going to start another one. Well, who's the pastor of that church? Come tell you again, anointed pastors and teachers, they're, 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 they're praise God for them, but they're becoming a rare thing today. That fear God, we need to pray for a, a, an uprising, a God of raising up of prophetic pastors and teachers. So I just throw this out here because look at the world's full of disgruntled and oftentimes they're in the church and they're disgruntled for the wrong reasons. Like, bro, there's so many reasons to be grieved about this bad doctrine and this nonsense, but you're more upset about, you know what, you, you, you think there should be a little bit more progressiveness going on here. And on top of that, you don't like the vote on how the carpet got selected. You understand what I'm saying? Well, we're gonna start our own church in our house. Is God ordaining that? And again, the same application to buildings. You can, there's buildings filled with thousands of people today where there's no pastor teacher there, where God's word is not being preached. It's a scripture, then 20 minutes of the corniest, goofy jokes and stories you've ever heard. And like, we've had church. You haven't had church. God's word needs to be open, rightly divided with the reverence that's gonna have some encouragements, some exhortations, some equipping. And look, at if it's applicable, boom, some rebukes. All in love. Because is it loving not to bring those that need to be brought? We also read about this man who's the first fruits of those in Acacia. So how awesome, a lot of time's gone by since 
the gospel's gotten to Acacia, this is one of the first believers, and here he is still abounding in the Lord, still growing in the Lord. He's seen, again, as we're looking at letters of commendation, that seed fell on good soil. No doubt, again, trials came along, the riches of the world came along, and he wasn't choked out. Again, he didn't quickly wither, but instead there's an abounding there. It's not like Demas. You read about Demas three times in the Bible. The first time Paul says, my fellow laborer. Then he says, say hi to Demas. Then he says, Demas has forsaken me for the world. Verse six, greet Mary who labored much for us. If you go to Romans 16, 12, he says, Drink, uh, greet uh, Tryphenia and Tryphosis who have labored in the Lord and greet the beloved Paris. Notice who has labored much in the Lord. So he says, greet these guys who have labored and then greet these who have labored much. There's a difference. God takes note to no labor, a little labor, labor, and much labor. What's the encouragement? Get laboring for the Lord. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust to forget your works and labor of love. And then he talks about being diligent in this and not growing sluggish. Have you grown sluggish in your labor for the Lord? Get your eyes on the Lord. He, he's laboring for you right now. The life he lives, he lives unto God the Father and he lives to make intercessions. Verse seven, uh, greet and, this is gonna take me twice as long because of these names here. Greet and, uh, I, you know what, in the, in the office, I just nail them and then you get out here. Drink and I just get, I just like, I want to go, I want to go. And I get you to stop here. Uh, drink, uh, greet and, I can't even read the English words now. Uh, greet Androconus and Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who have known among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So they're imprisoned for the Lord. Well, you see a lot of imprisonment in the scriptures, don't you? Not for crimes, but for serving God. There's many in the church today around the world that are imprisoned christ speaks of times coming where we might be in prison that's when the rubber really hits the road you know people get hung up on little small trials how are we going to respond when they're like deny jesus are you going to you're going to prison god help us amen we need your grace god and it says the apostles took note of them no doubt to pray for them to help them as well as to hold them up as an example when Paul was in prison there, you know, at, uh, in Rome, he talks about others being emboldened through his imprisonment. Well, Paul preached the gospel. He was put in prison and God's hands on him. I'm gonna preach the gospel as well. We should absolutely be emboldened, not struck with fear by people being persecuted for the cross around the world. We should recognize God's upholding them. God's working through them. And guess what? God's gonna uphold us and work through us. And we've seen that. Verse eight, greet Ampilus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. And the word beloved comes up a lot. Beloved in the Lord, my beloved. Again, we're called to love our brothers, love our sisters. And if if you don't have that love for your brothers and sisters in general, maybe it's specific. That's not coming from the Lord. That's coming from the flesh. Look at forgive. Show grace. Go have a conversation. A knock on the door does wonders. Sit down and talk. Receive your brother if he does that. Don't push them away. Love one another, amen? Fellow workers, again, of the gospel, and that's what it is. We're just fellow workers, but boy, what a privilege of the gospel. And then he says here, greet, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those of the household of uh, Aristobulus. His whole house knew the Lord. Oh God, again, grant his grace. Let these kids grow up knowing the Lord. Let them walk with the Lord. Approved of Christ, why? A couple scriptures on this. It talks about being approved to God, a worker not needing to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. And then it talks about in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For it's not he, again, who commends himself, who is approved, but he who the Lord commends. So the Lord commended this guy. He's probably a teacher that rightly divided the word and Paul's backing him. I back this guy. 
Notice 11, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are the household of not Narcissus, but Narcissus, just so you know. It's like, why'd you guys name me this, you know? He's a real Narcissus who are in the Lord. And then again, just notice the, the, the priority. Greet those in the Lord. Greet those in the Lord. Believers have a priority. Look at if, if, you, if you have the, I run into people all the time, again, a low view of the church, a low view of brothers and sisters. They want to go love on the world, but oh, there are a bunch of hypocrites over there. You need to get your mind renewed. That's your brother and sister in Christ. Again, by their fruits, you'll know them. And I know there's discernment needed like we're talking about. But notice here, Galatians 6, 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. By our love for one another, they'll, they'll know we're his disciples. Quickly here, 10, greet Tryphenia and Trypho, Tryphosis, who've labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. We touched on that. No labor, a little labor, labor, much labor. Jesus said, I must do my works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now is the time to be about the business of God. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now we read about a man named Simon in Mark's gospel who helped Jesus carry his cross. And he had a son named Rufus. Some think maybe this was the same Rufus. Rufus. We don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. We know this Rufus, those chosen in the Lord. And how we do know that? How do you know someone's chosen in the Lord? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord be saved. That's the only litmus test. If you called on the Lord, you're chosen in the Lord. And the Lord says, many are called or few are chosen. Why? Because out of the many called, few call on the Lord. And I love this, his mother and mine. His mother was like a mother to Paul. That wasn't his actual mother. This isn't like, greet Rufus, my brother. She was like a mother to him. And I thank God for men and women like this in the church who even take younger folks under their wings to love them, to direct them. The Lord talks about those that lose family for being followers of Christ, that they'll get a hundredfold more. I can tell you this, I thank God for the many, many grandma and grandpas, the adopted grandma and grandpas that my kids have. I thank God for that. Because you might notice something around me. You don't, you don't see a lot of my family in the church, do you? Someday maybe that testimony will be given. Not today though. Verse 14 and if God's calling you to love in that way, go embrace. Because I'll just tell you, coming in, and, and you know what? It, it might look a little different than blood relative and whatnot, but it is the blood of Jesus. And this that coming in can just be so awesome, so good. And then notice verse 14. Uh, Greet Asinacris, Philegion, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes. That's Hermas's twin brother. No, we don't know that. And the brethren who are with them, greet uh, Philogus and Julia, uh, Nereus and his sister and Olympus. You know, he's a bodybuilder, you know. <laughs> and all the saints who are with them and then greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So greet all these as well. And maybe a few names were left off here and hopefully they didn't get their feelings hurt and went and hid in a corner and cried. Because we might be on some lists and we might not be on others, but really what's important is what God sees, amen? amen. These churches here, he's saying, greet, are greeting your church there. And again, what's the unity? It's the gospel. It's the word of God. It's, again, truth. We need unity in the church. Then start preaching the gospel, bro. We'll preach it here. And if you preach it over there, there'll be unity. But oftentimes they're not preaching the gospel and they're not, but we're gonna unify and change the world upside down. You're not unified with God. I'm gonna be unified with God first. Too much compromise in the name of unity with men. But it's beautiful when there's unity of men in churches that are actually preaching God's word and say we are stalwarts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't compromise. We stand on truth on moral issues and scriptural issues and so forth. We don't appease the world. That's not loving anybody. And then he says, greet one another. Notice, keyword, a holy kiss. Nothing perverted about it. It's sad how many accounts I hear of 
perversion in the church at whole. If you're in any church at any time trying to prey on somebody, the scripture has harsh words for you. We'll close on this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, notice, who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we have forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, notice, he who rejects this doesn't reject man. If you're like, I'm into free love though, and I'm, you know what? You don't reject men, but God who has given the Holy Spirit. If you're here to defraud a brother or sister in this area, you are rejecting God, the Holy Spirit. You need to repent. If you're like, man, I need help in this area. Let's get together and pray then, man. This is a hospital, but it's not somewhere wolves are allowed to congregate and run amok. That's got to get nipped in the bud for the sheep's sake as well as the wolf. And sadly, there's even a great cloud of perversion that has come into so much of Christianum, not in the pews, but in the pulpits, accommodating sexual immorality. They're not rejecting men. Hear this, they're rejecting God. They're defrauding their flocks that do such. I could go from here and read 100 headlines in the last month of what I'm talking about. But hopefully, you know what? You don't live under a rock and you do know what I'm talking about. Get up on the rock. It's a better place to be. Let's stand up and close in prayer and worship the Lord and just make it our aim to finish well here. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you that you are so good. We thank you, Lord, that again, by grace through faith in you, Lord, that you've written that letter of commendation for us that will bring us into glory. They're covered by my blood. They're inscribed in my hands as we read in Psalms. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to abound in the call you have on us, Lord. Let us take these things to heart and consider them. A lot of things have been touched on here, Lord. Again, above all, let us grow in understanding your love for us. Let our love for you abound and our love for one another. We need your help and aid in that, God. Help us in it, Lord. That means we might get stretched. That means we might have to get under, out of our comfort zone. Give us faith to do that, Lord, and help us in it. We desperately need it, Lord. Listen, if you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. Jesus died for our sins. Our sin separates us from God. Sin brings death, but Christ conquered sin and death when he rose from the grave. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ask him to forgive you, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. He'll meet you where you're at. Let's worship him. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory One day they 
despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. Hands and healed nations stretched out on a tree, and took the nails from me, living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far Amen? Well, I hate to disappoint, but I think the rain stopped out there. But uh, God bless you. Pray you guys have a wonderful day in the Lord. Go minister to someone, love on someone, encourage someone. Again, God bless you.